Welcome to Career and Leadership Real Talk, the no-nonsense guide for ambitious managers who want to have more impact and progress their career. I'm Pamela Langan, a job search coach and expert CV writer specialising in helping frustrated professionals land the jobs and pay rises they know they deserve. And I'm Jackie Jagger, a leadership and mindset coach specialising in helping newly promoted and new to role leaders to avoid the dickhead trap and lead with confidence. Between us, we've helped hundreds of leaders and managers to find new roles, take ownership of their careers, and handle the challenges that job searches and leadership responsibility inevitably bring. And now we're joining forces to share with you what we know has worked for our clients. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. Today, we are talking about the four types of work conflict. And we know that as a manager, it's inevitable that conflict will happen and sometimes it can be quite scary and sometimes we can really worry about dealing with conflict so we're going to unpack it all today aren't we and we're going to look at what are the four types of work conflict and what can you do in order to make sure that you're dealing with that effectively so before we get into it let's just talk about what actually is conflict Conflict essentially is a disagreement or a clash or some kind of struggle that happens. And when people say they don't like conflict, more specifically, it's often the emotions associated with those disagreements or clashes. That's the bit that is uncomfortable. That's the bit that people often don't like. Because if you can have a disagreement in a way that doesn't prompt those negative emotions, then people often don't necessarily think of that as conflict. They think of that as a debate or a discussion or a robust argument. There are all kinds of other terms. So I think for me, it's broadening that scope and understanding and then looking at when those emotions are involved, which is what people typically associate with conflict, then how do you create the situation where you can have some of the upsides that can come from discussions and debates without the negative emotions being attached? So that's what we're aiming to support people to do with the the episode today. Yeah. And it's a different way, isn't it, to think about conflict? Because as soon as you do think of conflict, you're thinking of an argument, you're thinking of that real uncomfortable conversation maybe with raised voices and all that kind of stuff and it it does fill you with dread doesn't it but you do know that on a daily basis as a manager you are going to be dealing with that conflict and I think for some people for some of my clients especially it can really hold them back from taking the next step because they're like at this stage I can deal with the conflict and when I look at taking that next step up, it, it just feels like it's too much of a leap and it's not what I want to be dealing with on a daily basis. So I suppose the key thing is how can we get around it? How can we approach it? How can we deal with it? And I suppose in, in some ways, is there any way of getting rid of it? Can we get rid of conflict? I would always argue and advocate for the fact that the aim is not to get rid of conflict it's for conflict not to feel like combat. If you can get to a stage where conflict, in the very early part of my leadership career, I was introduced to The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is a book and a framework by an American author called Patrick Lencioni. 
And one of the things that introduced was the concept of positive conflict. And and the assumption here is that if there isn't conflict, it doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory and that people all agree. It can be that people are afraid of putting the hair above the parapet. It can be a sign that people just don't care enough to put their point forward. It can be that people will say one thing to create a fake view that there is agreement and then there'll be bitching and backstabbing in in the background. So for me, it's not about trying to get rid of conflict. It's trying to have conflict in a way that's healthy and productive and that doesn't feel like combat. That's what the aim and the intention should be. Yeah, I love that saying that conflict shouldn't feel like combat (laughs) because that is essentially you worry because you do feel like you need to get go into that situation you need to have the argument and get your point across and have that real debate and it can feel quite stressful so like seeing that other side of it and conflict not feeling like combat but looking at conflict from a positive perspective I think that's a total reframe isn't it I found it really helpful in that part of my career and ever since. And I think when people reflect on where have the best solutions been found, where has the most progress been made, it's often not where everybody was immediately in agreement because then there might have been blind spots. It's often when there's been different views, different perspectives, different approaches. So if you can harness that side of disagreements and find ways that people can disagree, but do it with respect and do it with an understanding of not leaving people feeling awful, then you get the upsides without that anxiety or kind of pit of the stomach feeling that so often accompanies that worry around conflict arising. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it? It's just knowing how to handle it, how to deal with it, how to get those positive aspects from having those conversations and having those debates and and almost being open to those debates. Because I think sometimes you open yourself up to a debate, you can feel criticised. That kind of feedback sometimes or that level of debate can really hit you hard, can't it? Especially if you've already got a few insecurities and you're not really addressing those and you're not really, you're trying to overlook those and trying to deal with the situation at hand, but then somebody comes at you and they've got a different opinion, they've got a different way of looking at things and it can be quite hard, can't it, to not take it personally. And I think taking things personally is a big part of where conflict can feel combative. And it's interestingly, that really speaks to the different types of conflict and being able to understand when do those occur, why do those occur, and how can you make sure that they happen in a way that doesn't prompt those emotions. Yeah, and that also is a good point because I know when we were talking before before we started recording and we were talking about the four types of conflict like what how would you define the four types of conflict I think people will often be familiar with the being two types of conflict which is often task and relationship and I prefer the more nuanced four types of conflict because I think what that does is allows for easier picking apart of where does conflict arise and also how can we either head it off at the pass if it's likely to result in those negative impacts or how can we make sure that we harness the productive side. The first one 
is task. And that is, I would define that specifically around where there is a disagreement or a debate about what is the task, what is the goal, or what is the objective. Or it can also be which is most important. So for example, if you have two different teams, you might have one team that has a priority. You take, for example, buying a new system. That will often be a big cross-functional project where you will have various different stakeholders and you will have people who will think that budget is the most important thing. You have people that think that specific functionality is the most important thing. You will have people that think that the implementation timeframe is the, the key thing. So with that, if there isn't clarity around either what is the end game, what is the, the goal, or if there are multiple competing things that need to be hit, which is most important or how do they rank, then what that can do is create these perspectives where people come at it from their own perspective. And then in having that discussion or debate, they're looking at it with a different lens. So that for me is the task conflict. It's where there is not sufficient clarity on either what's the goal or the objective or which is most important if there are multiple things. Yeah, and I suppose that's where leadership skills are really key as well there, isn't it? Because it's if you recognize that there is that conflict and it's like, who needs to make the, the decision? Do I take control of this? Do, do I set up like an open debate over it? Who makes the final decision? There's a lot of stuff, isn't there, that goes in to making decisions. That lends itself very much to another of the four types is status conflict. And this essentially is the question of who's calling the shots here. And again, so often it can be that there is a lack of clarity around who gets to make this decision. So in that example I was just giving where there's multiple stakeholders, if there isn't a real clarity around the initial piece that says this is how these decisions are going to get made, then it's natural that people will defend their ground and people will feel like, I am the key stakeholder in this bit and I should get to call the shots for this bit. And I think as managers and leaders, it can often be a case as well where delegation can fail because of status conflict, because you might want to delegate something to somebody. You might have communicated to them. So in their mind, it's their decision to take. But if you haven't communicated that to other people, if you haven't had that conversation, for example, with other members of the team that you've ask this person to look after something on your behalf or to other functions, then in other people's mind, they're an equal, they're a, a colleague, and this, this person is behaving as if they get to call the shots, but I don't understand that. So that can, where status conflict happens, and there is a lack of clarity around really who's calling the shots here, often what you'll see is upward escalation because it's we can't agree between us. We've all come at it with our own perspectives. So Huey does get to call the shots and you'll see different functional lines upward escalation where one, one person will be saying to their boss, hang on a minute, I thought this is me. And then over in another department, someone else will be having the same conversation with their boss. So I think that's a really helpful one to recognize and understand both for you as an individual manager or leader, if that is the case with you, am I assuming that I get to call the shots on things 
or is it definitely the case? But also if I want someone else to call the shots on my behalf so that I can delegate something, then have I made that clear, not just to that person, but also to other stakeholders involved so that they know I'm not the person to deal with. Yeah, it's a really interesting conversation, isn't it? Because you can see where it all goes wrong when you start breaking down the different types of conflict because you can see sometimes where those toxic cultures come from and why people can't make decisions or won't make decisions or feel like the hands are tied or become demotivated. There's so much, isn't there? And you don't realise that it all kind of sits behind this banner of like, conflict the conflict needs to happen that's almost the flip side as well is you'll have times where people will be like this person won't take accountability and there'll be frustration that they're not calling the shots or not taking decisions or not taking ownership for suggesting things but again that can be almost the other way around that they're assuming that status sits at a higher level than them and so they don't believe that they should So you can then see some of that frustration start to play out where you want someone to show the initiative and to take ownership and accountability. But if they're not aware that there is that expectation on them, then that can cause frustration where you then feel like you're having to get involved in things that you really shouldn't have to get involved in. So you see it play out both ways around. Yeah, it's so interesting when you start unpacking it. And one of the one of the other ones, as we were just talking, then I was just thinking about it. And something that comes up a lot for my clients is our personality clashes. And they come under that relationship conflict because that is the cause of so many people leaving different jobs, leaving different managers. Those personality clashes and, and that relationship conflict that is that's huge isn't it it's an interesting one because I think the assumption is that's the case and there's an element of it but often relationship conflict is a boil over from another type of conflict not being understood or not being addressed that if I cover the, the fourth, so relationship yeah. is is one we've got task and we've got status we've also got process So process conflict is where there's disagreement about how to go about something. So there's clarity about where are we trying to get to? What's the end goal? What's the budget or what's the deadline? And there can be clarity around who gets to make the decisions. But people will then still have different perspectives and ideas about how to go about it. So just because you've got that status doesn't mean you get to call the shots on the process. And I think sometimes people will interpret that if I've got that ability to call the ultimate shots, then I get to decide everything and I get to decide how we do it. And that can make people dismissive and make people unprepared to listen to other perspectives or ideas. And so when you get that, you get people that are experienced and skilled people who feel like their ideas are not being listened to or not being heard. You get the process conflict that then becomes relationship conflict. So each of the other three can then lead into relationship conflict if it's not addressed effectively, if it's not managed effectively. So although that reason for people leaving is often the relationship conflict, 
if the other types of conflict had been managed effectively, then that chance for personality clashes and relationship conflict would often have been mitigated. And, and equally, even if there had been some, people would often have felt differently about the relationship that they developed because there wouldn't have been some of the niggles with the other types of conflict that spill over into full-on relationship conflict. Yeah, I suppose when you look at it from that point of view, it's, wow, there's more to conflict than just having an argument or a debate. There's that whole bigger picture, isn't there, that sits behind it. And I suppose if if, if you're somebody that's listening that thinks, oh, I hate conflict and it is stopping me from moving forward, or if you're in a space where conflict is just an everyday occurrence and you just you've had enough of it and you're like I'm absolutely sick of this it's probably a good time isn't it to start going right okay let's unpack the conflict where is it coming from and analyzing the people involved and the processes and all of the things that you need to deliver and like really breaking it down and and asking yourself is it really conflict or do we just need to ask better questions have a different kind of conversation And I suppose looking at it from that perspective could really break down that conflict and stop it being a barrier to to you moving on in your career as well. Absolutely it does because it's the emotions associated with conflict that are the bit that people don't want. So if you take away that negative side effect and you handle the other types of conflict, which are pretty much inevitable, then that's where that doesn't become the same kind of issue. It doesn't become the energy drain. Those negative emotions are such an energy drain if you're experiencing them day to day. That's why you've associated that with those toxic environments because if people are exposed to all of this going on all the time and it's not understood and unpacked and handled effectively, it's draining. It's exhausting to be in that environment all the time is and I see that so often from people who are like looking to get out of places because they're drained because they're exhausted and it's they've just got to the point where they've had enough so I suppose what is the advice then for resolving conflict and to to be able to unpack this for yourself and understand where it's all coming from and I suppose finding those positive angles as well so the advice that I would tend to give would always be to start with clarity. So if you understand which type of conflict is happening, and normally you you might notice conflict because you're having the negative side effects. So say you're experiencing some of that, then it's understanding where is that happening? And it could be that there's multiple things. So it could be that There is task conflict because it's not clear what the outcome needs to be. It could be that it's process conflict because there are different ideas and approaches. It could be that it's status conflict and it's not clear who's making the decision. So I think, first of all, identify which of those areas and look to create the clarity. And sometimes that is as simple as asking that question. So If, for example, there's lots of discussion and debate about a process and some of that discussion and debate is from people who are not stakeholders in the process, that can be really frustrating. So sometimes it's about saying, okay, 
the people that need to have input into this are these people. So what are your suggestions about how we go achieving it? And I think when you start to then put those things together and think, what is the type of conflict and what clarity is there or isn't there relating to either what's the goal or how do we go about it or who gets to make the decision, then I think straight away that clarity can really help as a first starter for 10. That's where I would typically start is understand what's going on and then understand why it's going on with that situation and what should be going on with that situation if it's different. Yeah, I think that really makes sense just to get that clarity from the start because then at least you know what you're dealing with. You've got a chance to have a think through what's going on and potentially even spot some quick wins in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think the second thing for me is to have behavioral agreements about making sure that when disagreements happen, it is handled productively. So this is particularly thinking if you're a leader or manager of a team, how might you ensure that people can disagree, but do that in a way that is respectful and is appropriate. So having those behavioral agreements and calling that at the time that it's happening, again, can be really helpful. So if the agreement is that people are prepared to listen, then that agreement needs to be upheld. It's no good saying that this is how we're going to behave and then not holding that standard. Yeah. And I suppose as the leader, it's up to you, isn't it, to make sure that once you've got that agreement in place, that is how it happens and you call those people out it's almost like the one minute manager isn't it where you give that praise at the time or you have those difficult conversations at the time so you're just always calling people out on their behavior Um, and I suppose from from a good and a bad perspective as well you don't always have to just be calling out the negative behaviors you can also praise people when you feel like they've handled a situation well or when they've listened well to the other person's perspective and I suppose within that I always feel like when disagreements happen especially at work a lot of the time it's when people have taken things personally isn't it people can take things on board and it's I suppose it's almost that providing that support as a leader so that you if your team are triggered or feel like that was a personal attack that you can help them unpack that or if that's happening to you what support do you need in order to understand what's going on there for you as well and so much of that comes back to that foundational psychological safety that we've talked about on a number of different episodes because if that's there and you fundamentally believe that other people broadly speaking think well of you then one time if they're choice of language or their tone or their manner with you is a bit out of line, that doesn't feel as much of a threat or as as much of an attack as it does if that is happening consistently or as if you don't know or feel safe or comfortable being yourself around other people. So I think that really is about building that foundation of psychological safety because that helps to mitigate the risk of people feeling threatened or criticised or blamed or judged. Yeah, that makes absolute sense. So what else would you say then would be your kind of key advice to help with this? 
So I think timing is also a really key thing. That whole thing of if you receive an email, type the reply, but don't necessarily send the reply. If you're feeling in conflict with that person when you're typing that email and you're furiously going at your, your keyboard, then the re- then what you're likely to have done is to react rather than respond and hence step away. And it's the same with verbal discussions where emotions get heightened. It's that aspect of sometimes it's about letting the emotion subside and then coming back to reflect on what happened there. How did that happen? And this can be a personal reflection of what happened. Why did I feel such a heightened sense of emotion? What what was it that somebody said or did that prompted that? So that's the, the personal reflection. But also if you're leading a team and you're seeing it play out, sometimes it's about calling a timeout, having a break from the discussion or kind of stepping away, reflecting, and then coming back to it where the emotions have naturally subsided just with a bit of time and distance and then being able to move into that logical headspace of doing the unpacking of So what triggered that? How did we go from a helpful, rational discussion with ideas being brought in to a bit of a slanging match? You're not going to answer that at the time that the slanging match has just been happening. You've got to give that time and space. But equally, if you give that time and space and then do nothing to reflect and prevent it happening next time, then that you've tolerated it. So you've condoned it and said, it's okay. So then there isn't that same awareness of how do we mitigate that risk or how do we still keep the discussion and debate but not have the negative side effect. So I think giving time and space but not giving yourself off the hook to just think, oh, it's all all water under the bridge now. Sometimes you've got to use judgment. Sometimes it will be and sometimes it is just a case of, okay, people, let's simmer down. But sometimes it's about getting under the skin of what prompted and where did that come from and What do we need to do differently if that's created a reaction that we don't want? Yeah, and I suppose it's always a good exercise to do as well, isn't it? Like whenever you feel real strong emotions towards something, like just to stop, regardless of whether that is positive or negative, it's like just to stop and think about it and reflect. So like you're saying, you're going to respond rather than react to things. And I always have a reminder on my phone that says, don't allow your emotions to overpower your intelligence because it doesn't matter who we are or like how much work we've done on ourselves we react to emotions don't we we're humans and I have that reminder on on my phone (laughs) and just showing it to Jackie on the screen but I have that on my phone because it is so easy isn't it to allow your emotions to control you and how you react, how you respond, like emotions control everything, don't they? And it's just that little reminder that don't let your emotions overpower what you know and what, because you can easily end up going down a rabbit hole, getting sucked into all kinds of negativity, getting sucked into all kinds of debates and things that maybe are not even necessary through emotions yeah I love that saying don't let your emotions overpower your intelligence it's such a helpful and succinct reminder that probably (laughs) if I'm anything to go by I imagine there's plenty of people sitting there going "Mm -hmm, yep that's probably something that I need to remind myself of more often too 
Yeah, and it is, it's a hard one because it is having that real kind of self-awareness and none of us are perfect, are we? None of us can be 100% perfect on managing emotions every day of the week. But I think the more awareness that you have and the more you think about your emotions and you reflect on them and how these things make you feel, it will just make dealing with that conflict so much easier. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else we want to add before before we finish? So I think just the final thing that I would say particularly is important if you are a, a manager or leader and responsible for enabling others to resolve conflict is not to prejudge what's going on for other people and to help them find their own solutions. So I think it's easy to feel a sense of responsibility. For example, if you've got people in your team where there is being a bit of a clash of this is how it should be and this is how I want you to behave. But what that can then do is, again, add to that kind of feeling of being judged or criticised. And so I would always advocate a real kind of coaching approach of helping that person to reflect and understand. And particularly if somebody's, if you've heard about a conflict that you've not been a part of or that you've not observed, I think it, it's easy to make assumptions based on patterns of behavior you might have seen before or assumptions that you might have about the people concerned. And that can be really damaging. So I think it's really important that if you're in a situation where you're supporting other people to try and resolve conflict between them, that you really coach through that and help them to do that unpicking, help them to get into that logical space. Okay, what triggered it? What type of conflict was it? Which of these four types was at play here? What prompted it to go from this place to this place? How could you handle it differently? Those kinds of questions can enable other people to take responsibility for those personal relationships that they want to create and for making sure that they have healthy discussion without it feeling like combat. Yeah, that's amazing. And please do feel free to share this episode with anybody that you think might be struggling with workplace conflict and you feel like this could really help them to make sense of it and unpack it. And as usual, if there's any topics you'd like us to cover, get in touch and let us know. And don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platforms. And we'll be back next week with another episode.